Welcome back to The Exchange, presented by Ohm Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is episode 11 of season 2 and our 22nd podcast, part 2 of the coffee roaster and providing retail equipment. In part 1, when we faded out on Mark, he had just finished talking about the types of formal agreements that should exist between roasters and the retailers to whom they provide equipment. Todd moves the conversation forward from there and, fair warning, He's going to do some math. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a, a fantastic thing to consider for companies that are small, that are skeleton crews, that, you know, don't have the time and energy to be chasing AR, to be, you know, drafting contracts, to, you know, to get into the complexities of this and do the proper counterparty appraisal and really feel out the new customers as they're onboarding. I mean, a, a, like the extra work that it takes to really process and, and come to a conclusion as to how comfortable you are getting into business with someone that you're about to essentially finance mm-hmm. uh, their coffee program by placing equipment, you know, enter right. a, an elaborate agreement that, you know, even if it's terminated and you're contractually protected is going to require lots of time and energy and capacity to yes. to follow up on. I mean, you, yes. you know, you're in this place where the last thing you want to do is do that and and not only are you, you know, you're you're sort of out on the machine, but you, you know, you're struggling to actually collect the money that that you, you know, floated in coffee to boot. So, you know, it can be a mess if that's not something that you're ready to to get into and you don't structure this side of the program clearly. I would say, you know, one one way that I've seen roasters, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say fall apart. That's that's over dramatic, but but certainly a, a shortcoming, and it, it causes a ton of confusion. Is when this side of their program is like very like uh, case to case. You know, if they right. they don't essentially have, it's kind of like not having a, val- a single minded proposition in your marketing campaign. You know, you don't have one guiding idea. If you don't have one structure to how you might approach policing equipment or providing retail equipment, you know, in your accounts, it, it becomes very wishy washy. The the team that's executing has a really hard time actually, you know, holding accounts uh, to the line, and you know if everyone comes back to you just like at retail and says, Hey, you know, you guys should offer this. And you say, sure. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's very little predictable that becomes actionable when, when right. you're growing and, you know, different people are responsible to, uh, to actually get these different pieces of, of the puzzle, uh, you know, put into place. So, you know, something to look out for, for sure. Well, and I think there's ways to avoid this. I, I the client I talked to the other day, they are a, a smaller regional roaster surrounded by, uh, or in their mind, the people that they wanted to start taking accounts from were very large, very well equipped, very old companies. And he was asking me, well, how do I do this? How do I get in? How do I offer equipment to get my foot in the door? And my my answer to him was, Go, you know, find another playing field because you're going to lose against a company that owns a hundred thousand brewers, and they could just swap them out all the time. They, they, you, you're not equipped for this. You don't have an equipment guy, you know, internally that can go and and fix the equipment and maintain it. You're you're not selling equipment. You don't have a a, a resale license for that. 
So what are you know, play to your strengths? And in, in the case of these companies that you're mentioning that you're up against, what they they have is equipment and what they have is cheap prices. But what they lack is high quality coffee. And what they lack is the baristas in the, the, the stores that you're wanting, you know, that you're attracted by, you know, can't pour latte art. They but they know that everybody's doing that. So offer them training, offer them, you know, uh, you know, higher quality products, consistent training, which is just your time at that point, and and encourage them to invest in good equipment that professional baristas use. So if they were given, you know, some free cheap machine, well, you know what? Maybe you want to just go buy something of very high quality and then we'll train you how to be great on it. That may be your foot in the door with that account. And that doesn't cost you anything because you're not selling that equipment. You could actually partner up with a distributor of equipment that, that sells these brands and say, look, I'm going to do some of these sales for you and, and you know work out some deal with them. Uh, and then you can provide the training. And that is one way to do it when you're smaller and leaner and you're not, you know, you're not equipped to be a bank to be funding uh, clients as they grow. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the question is, is much more, you know, when to consider uh, where you might consider financing equipment. You know, when we're talking about brewing equipment, you know, yeah. strictly yeah. batch brewed filter coffee, right? Lower cost equipment. Um, you know, more uh, low maintenance relative to espresso equipment. Um, sure. I just wanted to put out some numbers that I ran in preparation for our, our episode here that might... Right. I was I was told there wasn't going to be any math tonight. Well, this, this, I, I, I'm I, saving our, our, our listeners here from having to, to break out their calculators. So Okay, um, good. So, you know, that, that's the idea here. I, I, the case I want to make is that you shouldn't finance espresso equipment for your account no at, at, in, om, in almost any case and and for certain if you are a lean uh independent growing uh specialty coffee roaster just don't do it now we know right one pound of finished roasted coffee is 454 grams follow me now if you are <laughs> brewing espresso from 19 grams of coffee now this you may be up from here um, you may be down from here I'm not looking to be completely, you know, true to every individual model. Adjust as you will for yourself. This gives you clean with zero waste. Ha ha ha, which is not a reality. Yeah. But if there were a zero waste environment, this would give you 24 shots of espresso per pound of finished roasted right. coffee. Now, which is not happening, which is not happening. But let's say that you have a relatively efficient model and you're five to 10 percent down from there. Either way, I'm basing this off of 24 shots of espresso on 19 grams. That's out of one pound of coffee or 454 roasted grams of coffee. So that cut across a, a shop that is putting across 350 some odd espresso shots per day. That, that would be uh, straight espressos, um, Americanos, lattes, cappuccino, etc. That's a, a fair volume. This amounts sure. to 14.6, just over 14 and a half pounds of coffee used per day. Now, if you are placing what is, you know, mid to high tier espresso equipment, it, it's not unlikely that you might be between the, the actual 
uh, brewing machine, the the espresso machine, and a good grinder for both the the espresso and uh, a decaf or maybe a single origin, you might be out $10,000 in this case. And that's probably yes. not the furthest extent of it. I mean, if you're really at the bleeding edge, a lot of our listeners are, most likely are. And if they're not enjoying a significant volume discount with the machine manufacturer, which you're likely not, um, this equipment for one account that might be doing 350 drinks or just under 15 pounds of coffee a day is going to have you spending 10 grand to get this equipment on the bar. Now, 10 grand, assuming you are getting a dollar out of each pound of coffee, it's going to take you 685 days of that consistent volume. If you are assuming one full dollar is going back just to the principal amount, the initial principal, no interest, no maintenance, no anything right. that, that the real world, as you've well outlined prior to this, this little math problem, um, you know, you've, you've given it to us what you need to consider, which is well above and beyond this. But even if it's just the hard principal cost of this investment at day one, um, that is going to take nearly two full calendar years to recoup just that initial investment. None of your training and time, none of your uh, preventative maintenance, none of the additional parts uh, and and maintenance this way. Um, so, you know, it, there's just, in my mind, with this type of, of uh, uh, analysis available, there's really little to no reason why anyone should consider this. And I think it's, it's, right. it's beyond uh, advisable. I mean, it's really, it's dubious to think that you might go down this road. It's the same as, as a wholesale roaster saying, hey, I'm going to open X number of shops in one fell swoop when, you know, cash is tight. I mean, this this is essentially why. So, you know, what I want to, to segue the discussion towards is, well, what do you do instead? What are the opportunities uh, for solving the, the problem? Hey, this potentially fantastic cafe account needs an espresso machine and right. doesn't have the connections. Um, how do I create value for them uh, while solving that problem? And one of the very first ways that you can is to recognize, uh, you know, essentially how the espresso machine manufacturers have, uh, you know, entered our market and, and they use roasting companies as distributors. So, you know, right. there's very often, if not always, the opportunity to become a distributor, um, you know, even at a very small size for some of these, uh, you know, espresso machines that, that, you know, you want your brand aligned with and that you want to get preferred pricing. You can pass that pricing at exactly your cost. And in the same spirit that you are suggesting in opening your books to a potential customer to show, uh, you know, where your break even is and, and justify, you know, what type of markup you need to add in the case that you do place a brewer, you can say, hey, I'm, you know, what I'm going to do is actually give you my cost on this machine and come in. Right. And, and that's a good, uh, you know, sort of a good faith. Let's let's meet here. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to, to not buy this at a sticker price MSRP and, 
Um, you know, you go in uh, with the same amount of skin in the game uh, as as I do. You know, coming in with your brewer, per, you know, maybe. Um, you know, uh, there are other ways as well. I mean, how have you ever seen or experienced, or maybe this was something you did in in some uh, capacity, mm-hmm. but. There's also um, leasing companies, third parties that will finance yeah. equipment, and and you can take that, uh, you know, that sort of uh, risk obligation out of house. I mean, is that something that you've had your hands in over the years? Oh yeah, I was a distributor for uh, Nuva Simonelli and uh, La Marzocco, and as well as Franchi. I was selling a lot of super automatics to hotels um, and institutional you know, manufacturing companies, uh, computer companies. So I did all three brands and had to do a combination of everything you just laid out there. I did a lot of the, we'll sell it to you at cost and uh, do the training and maintenance, uh, but you have to lay this out and you own it. And we did uh, turn them on to third-party financing if they were, if we didn't want to do a cost deal, uh, but we would make it worth their while to do that. I would say that that is a great those are great avenues for you to look down when you're pretty stable as a business if you're new and up and coming this gets very complicated very quickly and you have to add a layer if you're going to become a distributor for any of these brands you're going to need an in-house tech that would be your equipment person you're not going to be able to avoid that. So you have to be ready to develop that infrastructure, keeping parts on hand and being ready to go, you know, do on-call repairs for your equipment. Um, You have to be prepared to invest in that whole avenue if you're going to go do this. Yeah. I mean, what is that? If you had to ballpark that figure just for folks that are, that are on edge thinking, yeah, well, maybe that's for me. I mean, what do you speculate the investment to bring on or, you know, push someone on the team to even a minor specialization in equipment maintenance, uh, carry like the bare minimum necessary on hand parts stock. Um, and then, you know, was it, was it something you felt where there was value in carrying like an inventory of machines? Like, Hey, I'll ship that no, tomorrow or. Yeah. Most of that stuff we ordered, um, you know, per, you know, per deal we, and we were able to, you know, get the machines sent, pretty quickly that was never an issue the when when i did it there wasn't a lot of you just you know can't put an ad out for espresso repair person or coffee equipment repair person and and hire somebody we actually had to send somebody to um to every brand we dealt with and got full training i would say the super automatics were the toughest thing to learn but yeah so that was a it was a solid six month investment in travel uh, you know, all the, you know, airline hotel stays to go, you know, for two weeks at one company to learn how to, you know, tear apart and rebuild a machine and then off to another city to go learn how to tear apart and rebuild another brand of machine. So there was a good investment. And then once that is done and you have the trained person, it's roughly about a hundred thousand dollars a year in cost to you between the, the person, the parts, you know, the, the, the truck you need, uh, to, you know, to drive around and just all of the, you know, everything that surrounds having that end of the business. Now you can make money at this venture very easily because for people that own that brand of equipment and are in some markets, there's very few, if any repair people around, um, 
you know, the, the hourly rate for a repair person is quite nice and it can become a, a great avenue for your business if you want to go down that road. So it's not necessarily a hundred grand out the door. You, you do recoup and you can be profitable uh, in this venture as well. But it, it does change the nature of your business. It does change the focus where your resources are going. And it, 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 it adds another layer to your company that you have to be prepared to take on. Yeah, no, I mean, having been, uh, you know, I'm, I, at a time was a La Marzocco, La Marzocco tech. I was a Simonelli tech, um, you know, went in for training at both factories and, uh, you know, worked on plenty of machines and have been under many a counter and I've flooded several cafes and <laughs> certainly knocked out like the <laughs> power in a couple of places. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I do think like it's, it's a huge ask and, and it's an opportunity uh, that you can create out of it, but man, it's not something to underestimate. And, and beyond that, it's, uh, you know, it is an absolute requirement to have this type of, of in-house service um, so as not to open the door to someone else who does have it and who is servicing right. your accounts for you, uh, you know, indirectly. Um, you know, where people start to see that value and, and start to drift in terms of their interest. Um, but but additionally, I mean, you you have to always bear in mind that when someone doesn't have a machine, I mean, they're they're not brewing coffee. So, you know, typically right. you have to carry one or two uh, loaner machines where, you know, you can take something out. And, and if it requires yes. a, a few days of service, you know, you have something that you can leave them with in the meantime. But you need that because nothing's worse than trying to fix an espresso machine in a actually working open cafe. You're just in the way. It's a nightmare. You it's pull the machine, put in a loaner and get that thing to your bench and work on it there. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And it changes the whole dynamic. I mean, having been oh, yeah. a tech in the field, I mean, it's the, the, I love doing that work in my workshop and in the cafe, it's a nightmare, and and the best of techs still struggle um, just for mental clarity and and the the sort of space that they need to actually do the job right. When you know they're not like having people like shouting at them for for you know espressos and cappuccinos, and they're like, yeah, yeah, man, I don't even work here. Come on. I as as a funny little side story, uh, I had a, a guy that worked for me that I thought was perfect for this job. You know, he was a musician, but he was somewhat looking for something more stable. And I said, look, this is something I'm willing to train you and invest with you on. And frankly, and and, I, and I'll add this to our topic here tonight, because, you know, in many ways, uh, repairing equipment is a the safest bet you have as a business person out there. And in the Bay Area here, San Francisco Bay Area, with I don't know how many thousands of cafes and roasting plants and wholesale coffee companies, there are two equipment companies that repair equipment in this from San Francisco to the Oregon border, which is unbelievable to me. And so when somebody would come to me and say, hey, I, I you know, I'm retiring and I want to open up a cafe, I'm just like, I mean, oh my God, don't, this is such a boring story. <laughs> Let me tell you another avenue you should go down and that is maybe learning how to repair and sell equipment, it's not as attractive as having a cafe, but man, it's a sure thing. And man, you're never going to have a hard time making money. 
And if you decide you don't want to live here, you can take your tools and go anywhere in the world and start working tomorrow. Anyway, so th- this is where the story is. I trained this person. I you know, invested all this money. And I had a large hotel uh, down in Southern California that had uh, Titan Brewers, you know, the, the three-gallon urn brewers. And I had uh, six super automatics in this hotel. And we had a situation where uh, three of the machines went down. They were doing, I think it was the Tony Awards or something in their bank. I mean, they did like Hollywood Awards in this major facility. And the equipment went down and they said, hey, we need your guy down here immediately. We've got all these problems. I said, great, I'll get him down there. No problem. So he drives from Northern California down to Southern California. He It's about an eight hour drive and he's going to work all night. And I go to bed like, great, I know he's down there. He's starting his work and he's pretty new to this. And he's down there and has basically an anxiety attack with the amount of pressure it is to work on equipment in a working hotel with people breathing down his neck. And, you know, everybody's preparing for one of these award shows. And the next morning I wake up, I go to work and there he is sitting in my warehouse. And I said, what are you doing here? And he goes, I, I, I couldn't deal with it, man. I just left. And he left the equipment like un- completely open with wires hanging out and just, and drove eight hours home and just didn't even think to call me or tell me what was going on. And meanwhile, the account calls me flipping their lid. Like your guy just disappeared and he's sitting right in our warehouse. Um, so yeah, you have to have a certain <laughs> stomach for that side of the business. Um, and he, you know, end up becoming a great employee over, but the, the, the initial like, uh, trial by fire was, uh, not a good moment for me as a business person. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I can totally <laughs> empathize. I was in a, I was in an open cafe, La Marzocco Linea, old, you know, AV, very, uh, <laughs> very like, you know, the, like the ones that, that went out in, in the initial Starbucks run that, that you know, we, oh, yeah. we always joke like, "Oh, what what's gonna outlast Armageddon?" Okay, cockroaches and Lamarzoko linea. Uh, um, but I was in this open cafe in Boston. You know, must have been forty five people, and you know, won't get into the details. Uh, but obviously, if anyone's listening and you're at all, you know, tech savvy or uh, you've worked on these machines, I can tell you what happened offline. Give me a call. Uh, but you know one thing led to another and and i mean thank god i didn't get electrocuted because 220 oh, yeah. amps essentially grounded through this metal counter just on the fact that i i didn't shut the machine off before starting with the work i was getting into and so literally like you know a a lightning bolt grounded itself <laughs> through through the counter to the floor in an open oh. cafe and the entire oh place went black you know and this is like this was the day that i was like yeah you know i think i'm gonna just i think i'm gonna do something else (laughs) yeah you know it's it's the things that you'd never think like that you would forget to do whether safety or just basic um you know step by step this is the nature of swapping this part or whatever yeah you know when you're around people and there's a myriad of distractions you know it's all bets are off so you really you do if you do decide to go down this road i know we're not talking about how to tech equipment we're talking about providing equipment but being that 
supporting your equipment in the field is absolutely non-negotiable. I mean, having an able and then creating a safe and workable space for that person. Oh yeah. Or or persons is, it's no joke is completely essential. And I mean, you know, yeah, you can't do this on a shoestring. This has to be a real investment in uh, in your company. No. And, and, and it's the type of situation where in hindsight, you know, I mean, thank God everyone was all right, but but man, if if I had had my hand in the way of that, I mean, you know, not only my personal safety, but the the type of liability that you know um, the stakeholders and the business that I was representing, and, and the 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 people who um, you know were essentially responsible for the space that we were operating in, and all of the ways that that would have played out would have just been horrible. Um, and it's it's really truly sobering to think about. So you know, something to, uh, to really hammer home, but, um, sure. But yeah, man, I guess, you know, here we are the coffee roaster and providing retail equipment. What haven't we hit? I mean, I feel like we're, we're covering our bases pretty good. Mark, where should we bring it? I think, yeah, the, the final word is that, you know, there are ways to avoid any of these situations based on your size. And that will, to me, it's always play to your strengths. And then, and then feed, uh, you know, or try to address the, the certain company's weakness that you're trying to attract. And that doesn't always have to mean giving away free equipment. If you do get to that size, you understand, based on what we've talked about, the infrastructure involved. But be, think creatively before you get to that point, because you can get very far in your business cycle without doing that. And in a perfect world, I always thought it was crazy that, you know, you don't see the meat distributor giving away free ovens and you don't see, you know, like uh, the bread company giving away free bread ovens. It's just, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, we, for whatever reason, our side of the industry is stuck in this, this free equipment game. And if you can avoid it, by all means do, if you can be creative about it, by all means try. Uh, but these are just some of the systems that I did back in the day and some of the things that Todd has done. And, um, but there's many ways uh, to address this issue. Uh, that many roasters have talked to, talk to other roasters, see what they've done. Uh, everyone, you know, in this industry, I've found to be quite friendly, very open. And this is a topic we all struggle with. So it's something very important for us to be talking about and sharing information with uh, everybody in the industry to see how do we address this in a way that makes sense, that keeps our businesses afloat and doesn't jeopardize uh, the safety of our staff in the case of, of Todd, you know, working on equipment <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, your cash flow for your business, which you always desperately need to be holding on to. Yeah, right on. No. And, and at the bottom line, I mean, there's no free lunch. I love, no. uh, and I, th- and I'm, tr- I'm firmly confident that you were well ahead of the curve in terms of like uh, being transparent around how this plays through a roasting business. I think that it's in the spirit of specialty coffee to be transparent. I think it endears customers. And I think that uh, small roasters would be wise to, uh, you know, essentially open up, uh, you know, what the picture looks like from their side, um, you know, and, and, and talk about, you know, really the, the shared risk opportunities uh, that that this venue um, you know presents um, for them and their customers. You know, it, there's there's no way around the fact that this is a big expense. It's a critical expense, and I really, honestly think, ideally speaking, beyond just the the business case for for shedding the expense and, and letting your customer own it. I mean that that whole idea of stewardship and and ownership is so huge 
when it comes to the role that this stuff plays on the counters that it sits on. And uh, any way that you can can bring that back to the folks you're working with, I think is huge. So um, certainly something to keep in mind and, and try to push people towards taking literal ownership of their equipment and, and um, yeah, you know, you can figure out other ways to excel and, and other ways you already are excelling and, and message that forward. But well, perfect. Well, there we go. Another episode of the exchange in the, uh, in the file there again for Todd Mackey, our producer, Mike Ferguson and myself, Mark Inman. We thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Business Math and Electrical Safety for the Coffee Roaster, and also The Exchange, presented by Ohm Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Professor Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was Coffee by Josh Woodward. Our closing theme, Coffee Hour by To Hope. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for our second annual Halloween episode, The Coffee Roaster and Scary Physical Defects. And now, your postscript. I need to have uh, some consultation time with Ferguson. Look at that. I've never even seen an inbox like that.